Hello, and thank you for listening to This Is Just A Phase. I'm your host, Jonathan Kent. Before we get started with Jay's episode, I just want to take a moment and remind everybody that they can check out the Facebook group at This Is Just A Phase for any uh, updates about bands touring, their music videos, and any additional information that can be provided. Um, Also check out my Instagram account at jonathankent.311 for uh, the same uh, information about uh, episodes, uh, special content as well. Um, I appreciate all the support that I've continued to get um, over these past months and just want to remind everybody uh, that I try to put out as much special content as I can. Uh, for people who follow the Facebook page and uh, the Instagram page. So with that being said, Jay, take it away. On this special episode, I sit down and chat with my good friend Jay Prozac and talk about 20 years of his hugely influential band, The Prozacs. We discuss a variety of subjects, including where he sees himself in his band after 20 years, what songwriters push him to be better and have also influenced him over the years, what albums of his does he feel resonates with fans the most, what he and his band personally means to me, the legacy of the band, and so much more. So sit back and get nostalgic with this episode of This Is Just A Phase. The first song to start it all off is one from the Prozac's 2019 album, Ambivalence, entitled Rocking Out. Jay. Hey, what's going on, John? 
Not too much. How you doing, my man? Great. You hear me okay there? Yeah, you sound great, man. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for deciding to do the podcast again, man. Dude, I'm stoked. <laughs> we had a, with you. Yeah, it's great talking to you. I mean, we just talked yesterday for like two hours. But I um, know. I hope, we, I hope we didn't kill it. <laughs> no, no. You know what? Going back to the conversation, like when I was trying to come up with some questions, um, our conversation yesterday actually helped me come up with questions because we touched on a little bit of everything, but it some of the stuff we touched on, I thought would have made uh, an interesting conversation because right now, I mean, this year you you're you're celebrating twenty years of the Prozacs. Yes. And, you know, you've been you've been putting a lot of stuff on social media and, and, and detailing the 20 years and over especially this year and last year with everything going on, you were putting out a lot of uh, photos, a lot of uh, memories that have happened over the years. And you were almost inadvertently kind of putting it out there because you you knew you were coming up to 20 years and. I, I think that was really cool that you were doing something that even though maybe you you weren't doing you were doing inadvertently. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I love it. I'm I'm all about the nostalgia, you know. You know, and I think it's I think it's hard not to be nostalgic. I mean, we were talking yesterday about the 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 Dan the Dan Vapid episode of, of Jughead's podcast and about right. how they were reminiscing on you know, their experiences, not only with Screeching Weasel, but the Riverdells and, and stuff like that. And I think it's hard when, when you talk to somebody who's been in music for so long, it's it's hard not to be nostalgic. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like if you have that, I mean, let, 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 let's think about it. Most bands last, what, two years? Yeah, if you get two to five years out of a band, it seems like you're, you're doing pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, we, we we joke around all the time and like, you know, like bands come and go and, you know, even bands that we got into, like when we talk about bands like the Peabody's and, 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 and those styles of bands, it's like, how long did they really exist? You know, I was looking yeah. back at the Twerpentines, I think they were only a band like six years. Yeah, it, you know, it's crazy. A lot of the bands, though, too, you know, say, say like a band like the Peabody's that you brought up. I know, I know Eric's been act, active off and on over the years, but, you know, it's at a different, different pace. You know, yeah. the level, of, the level of the bands, too, you know, like, I don't know, look at like 80s, 80s rock, right? Yeah. All these bands that completely disappeared, you know, in the 90s. Oh, yeah. And now, and now they're like, popping up and they're, they're playing or some of them have continued to play uh-huh. and be bands, you know, but they just, the genre of music died in the mainstream. I started noticing that too, with a lot of like nineties bands too. Right. Like out of nowhere, like bands that I haven't really thought about in 25 years are making a weird resurgence and like they're playing bigger size venues still and it's like what 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 happened like i haven't picked up a not a surf album in 20 years but they're playing arenas i'm like wait a second 
that's bizarre. You know what I mean? Or bands like Eve Six or, you know, those like, uh, what was that one band that had the, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember the, that song uh, about like stepping off that ledge. What was that band? Third Eye Blind. Third Eye Blind. Yeah. Like these bands have gotten like this resurgence and like they're, they're, they're playing arena shows again. I'm like, that's so bizarre to me. Yeah, it's weird. Well, you know, it probably ties in with the um, the whole nostalgic thing, like that. I've been listening to MTX relentlessly for the last few days. So, because you got shards <laughs> volume three, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I have. I, it's it's weird, dude. Talk about nostalgia. Like, damn you, Chris Thacker. Damn <laughs> you and your damn sounds radical. Because like. <laughs> I, do I need all these releases? I don't. I totally don't need it. I have all the stuff. I have all these songs, but it's just so damn cool. And it's, you know, I can't, I can't resist. Now, do you think? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not on Lauren Banjo uh, level as far as buying everything, but I mean, I've been in MTX since like, the, you know, like 96. But uh, <coughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, I got shards. So I've been, uh, the no alternatives been in my, or the, um, you know, alternatives here to stay has been in my head. I was listening to it before I started doing this. <laughs> I, I was listening. I was trying to get caught up through that uh, through that Jughead episode with Danny Danny Vapid, and I was like, I didn't realize like how much of it I hadn't listened to. Like I thought I was like halfway through, and I go back into it. I was like fifteen minutes, and I'm like, fuck, yeah. you know what I mean? But. Like I'll listen to Jug. Jughead's been having some killer guests on lately, and I'm trying to play catch up because he seems to be releasing them so quickly. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. He um, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Jug uh, Jughead's really uh, you know he's he's a he's a man of the people. And, yeah, and obviously it, it's so cool that he he reaches you know he reaches out to dudes like me, but then he's reaching out to you know I mean. He, He's in with the big guys. He doesn't need to talk to someone like me, you know, but uh, he, uh, he's got so much. He's scatterbrained in the sense of like his memory, as far as like what he remembers and what he don't, you see that with Jughead with our, with a vapid, you know, and where he's like, vapid's like, Oh, remember this. And he's like, oh, I don't, you know, but it's cool. Cause he's digging so deep and he's got all these people that were, that he dealt with and worked with and played with. And like, it's just cool being like a fly, almost a fly on the wall and watching this wealth of history stemming from Screeching Weasel, like get reconnected, put back together and us as fans, like getting to find out all these little things that were like rumors that we'd hear like in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember, you know, when Bark Like a Dog came out. I, I still I still didn't know much about all these bands and it was still pre-internet, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh I, you know, I remember rumors and all that and of why that record happened, you know, the Riverdales thing. I was just getting soaked into the Riverdales and like you know, and all these years later, you know, Jughead going through like detailed stories of all the records he's put out. Um, the tours, the the insides with Ben, you know, listening to like Vapid, dude. I don't know. He's he's definitely 
top tier for me. Now, let me influence, you know, and yeah, you know, you think we're old reminiscing for 30 years. I mean, these guys are reminiscing even further back. I mean, oh, yeah, you know, Vapid said he joined the band, what, like 88? That's dude, that's a long fucking time ago, man. Like, oh, yeah, man. And they were freaking, they were kids, you know, and yeah, I mean, got hold were Ben and Jughead when they started the band, like what, like 17, 18 years old, something like that. Yeah, that's crazy. But you you brought up a good thing about talking about about Jughead reaching out to you, and yeah. you say like he you know he also has all these connections with these bigger bands, and he reaches out to someone like you. Like, where do you see your after twenty years? You know, twenty plus years, including the Grand Prix. Um, where do you see yourself in your band, you know, 20 years later? Like, where do you think you fit in to, to the scene? Uh, yeah, it's hard. I, I'm not sure. You know, I'm, I'm going to, I'll go back and listen. To, like if you listen to that jugheaded and vapid kind of listening to where he felt he sat, you know, where like with methadones and where screeching weasel potential and all that. Mm-hmm. And um, it's hard to, to to really figure out like the tiers of it all, you know. Level wise, I I dude, I don't know, I really don't know. I'm not. I mean, I put out a lot of records. I bust my ass. I I know what I've done personally, and as far as getting out there, but things like the touring, you know, like that 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 vapid, something I've pushed on as long as I've been playing knowing how important touring is. And I've definitely got out there, played lots of shows, but I was never able to have the people around me that wanted to go for it the way I did. And I could just never seem to make it happen to do to to tour on the road, you know? Yeah. Put it this way, like a band, like say teenage bottle rocket. I I like to use them sort of as an, like a gauge of like to myself because I feel like our trajectories are, were, you know, we kind of have the same timelines. Yeah. And um, when, when I first started the Prozacs, like, you know, the Grand Prix, I don't know, we, we kind of really dug into that mutant pop world. And mm-hmm. we, were, we were hanging with, like, some of the hopeless and, like, lookout era bands, but we were a small band, but we were we had this connect, which was really cool. And um, I don't know, there was, there was like a thing building up and I feel like the Prozacs kind of had some potential coming out of the gate. We did our first record, first tour, which was, you know, a couple weeks tour and we played like 60 shows or something over through the summer. Wow. And I, you know, to, to, I'll be completely honest. Like, we, you know, we came out, on, we had a song on a compilation that was off our second release uh, Monsters Night Out when the band had changed and now it was really really just me pushing this thing and it was on Amp Records or not Amp Records Amp Magazine they did this series of compilations of different genres mm-hmm. and they did a pop punk one and the Prozacs were on it and that was huge at the time because you had to quit you know our song was between Queers and MTX you know, by default because of our uh, alphabetical order, but it was like a really yeah. great mix of bands, and Bottle Rocket was a new band, 
kind of new band. And yeah, and they blew up. And I, and I look, I look at them, and I'm like, you know, what are some of the differences? There's a million things you can look at. But um, you know, so I put them at a certain level. I'm definitely way below that. <laughs> you okay. know, and, and uh, it's you know, but then I don't, I, I don't know, man. It's stupid. I'm rambling. I really, no, no. I don't know. I do no. what I do, <laughs> and I'm, I'm in the scene. I'm not a huge potato, but we have, you know. I've made a lot of great friends. I've sold a lot of, of records. And like, even then, I don't know how to compare. Like, do do you put numbers out there of like how much of your music's out there? Like, you know. No, I don't. Think you got me figured out, you don't know a thing. I'm going fuck crazy, driving me insane. I want to wait for the fucking minute I know. when I got into your level bands. You, you guys are the second wave of the Ramones core blah, blah, blah scene, if you want to call it the, the Ramones core scene. If right. you're talking pop punk, you're like third tier, like the, the, the third generation. Yeah. But as far as the Ramones core, you guys are like the second generation Ramones core bands. You know, you guys, Johnny Three, Peabody's, stuff off of Mutant Pop, that kind of stuff you know what i mean and because of that i look at you guys as being the second tier of that scene right because at, at least for me i got into you guys because i knew who johnny three was right i got into the guts the same reason through the same reason i got into the leftovers for the same reason i started discovering all these bands because just like in the 90s where there was label association there was now a label that were putting out all these not only a friends band but all these other really kick-ass bands and i give jason a lot of fucking credit and timbo credit for still allowing that kind of music to exist at a pretty popular level Right. You know, Cheapskate, Cheapskate and Mutant Pop at that time, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, obviously um, Mutant Pop a little bit earlier, but I was discovering these bands because some of these bands were getting put out weren't really that far from me, you know? Yeah. And so in my head, I always looked at the Prozacs and Johnny Three 
and the guts and leftovers and etc. as that new breed of the pop punk that I liked. And I kind of always looked at you guys as being that that second tier also as far as popularity is concerned. Right. Does that make any kind of sense? Yeah, I can I can I can I can uh see that. You know, I, I I was kind of formulating a thought in my head on kind of like, you know, kind of more concise on how, how I really feel where I sit. And um, it's kind of like this. Like, I have this – I get a lot of great response and respect from a lot of um, – a lot of musicians that have influenced me, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of bands that will seem to – take influence from me and what I do that are much bigger than we are. So that's kind of, so that's, I guess that's kind of a weird little spot. Cause I'm, so I'm in this like place a lot of the times where, where I feel really good about what I'm doing and what I've done. And I'm, you know, and I'm thankful, I'm proud. And I know, I know I, I put the work in for it and you know, the music super important. Like it's, I don't do it for fun. I do it. I do it because I have to. It's, it's a driving force in my life. But uh, yeah, I kind of sit here and I'm like, I get really great. You know, I'm wrapped up in this scene that's bigger than I am. There, there's a lot. There's a lot of factors. And and listening to Dan Vapid on on his recent cast, and um, I also listened to a uh, Adam Fletcher from the Copyrights. Yeah, was on. He was. He was. He's from Carbondale, Illinois, and they. He was on a a show, like a podcast or whatever. That was uh, kind of. It was about people from there, from the area. Mm-hmm. So, and him talking about music, and I. I actually also, you know, was around when the copyrights were getting going too, you know, in their first record coming out, and listening to him talk, and I feel so much similarities with these with these guys and these people and, um, but the, and listening to the way they approach things. So like, you know, one of the things I'd look back at, I'm just, if I had the support within the people I was playing with to, to tour, I think touring's super important. Um, the more touring that we did, which between 2003 and 2005, yes, I didn't get to go out for three months at a bang and over and over again. Um, but I was going out at least, you know, two, three, four weeks in a year with million, you know, tons of shows in between. Uh, you know, we were working with labels and there was this really, it was a forward moving momentum. Maybe it didn't blow up per se, like Teenage Bottle Rocket or, you know, a few of these other bands. But, you know, I understand that. I understand that that's one of the factors. And it's not saying it would have made my band any bigger, you know, but I also, one of the other things I've kind of felt about, you know, and I guess maybe just looking at my own music is maybe I'm not tightly, uh, I feel like, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to judge your own stuff. You know what? And I, and I, and I totally, I totally understand that. And, and, and the reason that I asked you that is because sometimes I think you having known you as long as I have, the one thing that I continuously walk away from our conversations is that I don't think you understand 
at least to me and a lot of people, how important you are. Jay, you're a big enough name that Jughead wants to interview you. Like, I think sometimes you you don't see how important you are to the scene because other bands got bigger, but you're still big enough that, let's face it, Jughead's a big fucking deal, and Jughead wants to talk to you. You know, it's one thing to talk to me, and it's another thing to talk to fucking John Jughead. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like you represent the scene and have represented the scene now for 20 years, but you still, you're still just, you know, you. You know what I mean? You're not pretentious. You're humble by your experiences. And I think that's why people continuously gravitate towards you and listen to your music. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's what's what's cool. I know for me, I something I gr- I grasped grasped onto very early, and it started in the BMX my BMX life. Was going from being a fan, or say, and, and, and when I got to a point in my riding life where I became more, I was involved in the, you know, the the real scene of it. I went from I I was heavy into BMX and. I spent years reading all the magazines and everything else. Next thing you know, the guys in the magazines were became some of my friends. And then next thing you know, I was in some of these magazines, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. and, and, and you don't change as a, you shouldn't change as a person. And you, and you realize that people are people. And um, that's the one thing I really, you know, the grand pricks came flying out of the gate and it was hard panned for me when I, from transitioning from not being in a band to being in a band. Cause before I was in a band, I didn't know bands. I didn't know like going to a show was literally, it was just, wow. I got this close to the stage and Holy shit. Like, wow, these people, they're real. They're here. They're in front of me. And I had no clue about the underlying, you know, these people were all bigger than life. And, uh, you know, and I, I was gaining my own little, following and i think maybe going back to the comment i made about the grunge and the mm-hmm. high school thing because i wasn't like a popular dude and i, I kind of think i still carry to this day a bit that bit of uh the compassion of knowing where that is and like you always want to give i always want to give somebody a chance if i can you know yeah and and, and, and once you get in a room with people you're all people you know, you know, whether you're a Hollywood actor or you're, you know, you're you're fronting the biggest band in the world or whatever it is, you, you know, take away all the, the absurd mm-hmm. amount of money or fame or whatever else. When you're when you're in a 12 by 12 room, four walls between you, you're all people, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, the ailments of the world are going to get to you all. No matter what level you're at in that room you're going to speak and those people you're going to, you're going to, those are the people you're in, you're relating with their, you know, as big as they are, they're not going to be more than a few inches taller or shorter than you when you're standing in that room. Um, the words you say are, are, you know, they're not being heard by the world at that moment. And we all have the same amount of time. Our minutes are the same. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. I always just found it important to get, you know, when, at that level, a guy like me, like, dude, I don't know what to say. It's amazing. 
it's amazing to, to, to be able to have taken things that are important to you and then have people react to it, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, and it's even more amazing that you can take what you're doing and maybe you can help somebody else along the way or yeah. pull something out of somebody else that maybe they weren't able to pull out of themselves. You know, so I, I'm definitely thankful in that respect of, uh, of the whole thing, but dude, people are people. So, you know, and being humble and everything else, I guess is maybe it's gotta be a natural thing. Cause some people maybe aren't, you know, it is. it's just disappointing, very disappointing when, when, you know, and I've seen some people I've, I'm friends with or were friends with reach levels where it's like, it's just not, it's not cool anymore, man. Yeah, like, you're, you're, <laughs> you, you know, know? <laughs> you know what, and and I, I want to say something to you, and 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 this is gonna sound kind of a, a fanboy thing, but yeah. you were my second episode, but you were my first interview. I know it was confusing because the way the scheduling was, I had my buddy Sam was the first episode, but his right. schedule I couldn't record him till like a Friday. And me and you could record on a Thursday. So you ended up technically being my very first interview. Yeah. And I remember, and I even listened back to it and I could tell, like, I was so nervous. <laughs> but even though I had talked to you so many times before that, but getting to know you even more since then, the one thing I came back, because to me, you were like, you know, my my best friend Sam is hasn't done anything too big. I mean, he, we've always stayed local with our music. We never really, we never toured. We never got outside of our Western Pennsylvania, Eastern Ohio bubble. You know what I mean? Like we always stayed between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. You know what I mean? That was always our thing. But getting to talk to you, I held you in high regard. I held your band as in high regard. So when you agreed to be on the podcast, I was like, and you were going to be my first interview. I remember being like, dude, I hope I don't fuck this up. I hope (laughs) I don't screw this up. (laughs) And listening back to it, I could totally hear the nervousness. And I think the only time that I've done this, this podcast since where I was as nervous as that moment was when I interviewed the uh, Cliffy and Chris from the Huntington's. Yeah. I was actually petrified. I was going to fuck that episode up, man. Because uh-huh. the Huntingtons, to me, also were a big deal. I mean, they were well-known. They were, you know, they still are. But I remember being 16, 17 years old, yep. getting their first record. And 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 then now flash forward 25 years later, and I'm having the opportunity to interview them. I felt the same way talking to you that first time. Yeah, those guys are a good example. And I remember I remember being a bit flustered meeting them, you know, <laughs> uh, many, 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 many years ago. And uh yeah, total sweethearts, man. They're grounded. They're those are that that's a prime example of a of grounded people who, you know, you they're gonna sit next to you at the club and gab and talk and yeah, and Chris reached out to me, and I was floored. He was like, "Hey, man, my name's Chris. I play in the hunt. I play in Huntington's. You know, we, you know, we have a new album coming out. Blah blah. Like, I really dig your podcast." And I'm like, 
holy shit, a Huntington is saying this shit to me right now. <laughs> and then and then I get to sit down with him and Cliffy, and I'm just like, the entire time I'm doing the interview, Jay, and I'm going, I'm fucking interviewing these fucking guys right now. Like, <laughs> I'm a nobody. You know what I mean? I'm just somebody who took the you know took the chance to do uh, to, to you're what not, you're not a, you're not a nobody, John. You're you're, you're a person invested and involved in the same music world that we are and everyone's involved in in different ways so you're not a nobody my friend <laughs> and that's how i feel about you jay and that's how i feel about you 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 don't like you know i'm i'm fairly new to the podcast game like i'm only yeah. 4 months in you know that's when i say i'm a nobody but my wife kept reminding me you kept reminding me nick kept reminding me that when you have the 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 amount of people that you can connect with on a semi-regular basis and you kind of make a name for yourself as being a fan and supportive of these bands then 95 percent of these bands are going to give it back to you you know that are going to give you um the are going to be humble and are going to be appreciative and are going to to want to sit down with somebody starting out because everybody starts out somewhere Oh yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Definitely. I just interviewed the guys in 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 Cobain's and I kind of put the Cobain's in the same kind of tier as you whereas like you know I respect these bands so when they do want to come on my show, come on the podcast, I'm just like flabbergasted that I'm able to continuously find bands that are willing to come on and are appreciative of that because to me these bands are are huge you're huge Cobains are huge Huntington's are huge you know whoever else I've interviewed these bands are huge you know to me you know what I mean right, right. like maybe not Joe Schmo down the street who maybe you know don't doesn't listen to that stuff but to have the opportunity to to, to interview bands that I respect is important to me
great that, that we're in a we are in a time where this these things are so much more yeah you know yeah it's interesting get, get close and the you know we're sitting here on our cell phones or whatever i don't know if you are i am i know? am and we're you're able to do these things it's and it's not it's not complicated and overwhelming no unless you make it that way which I make it that way too often. You know but, what I, you know, I do too, to a is. certain, I do too, to a certain extent, but I've kind of learned to find the balance a little bit. Like I'll give myself a week where I have multiple interviews going on. Like I recorded the Cobain's episodes. I did, I did Eddie, Marky and Maria all a day apart. I did all like right. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then I released them Thursday, Friday, Saturday. <laughs> so that was a little, that was a little taxing, but then I also know, you know what, the following week I'm going to do one interview and I can just chill. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because I always kind of make a mark of myself most of the time. I try to give like six episodes. I've been doing six episodes a month. So that's a mark that I would, I've been trying to do, but also probably like December, November, December, I'll probably slow down a little bit. Maybe I'll do more like three or four, but early on with the podcast, I wanted to put out as much content as I could to right. be considered, to be considered reputable. You know what I mean? Like I wanted people to take me and what I was doing seriously that I just wasn't another guy doing a podcast. Like I wanted people to realize that what I was doing was, was important to me and, and, and I was serious about doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's you. You are. You're doing it, man. You're doing a good job. <laughs> Thanks, man. I got. Uh, I, I shared with you hitting a thousand was. I, I I hit a mark for myself where I I told I told my wife, I said, you know what? If if I could hit six, if I could hit a thousand plays in six months, I would be happy. So that was the kind of mark that I gave my gave myself. I was like a thousand plays after six months. I, that means I'm doing pretty good. And at that point, I didn't know how many episodes I was going to do a month. You know what I mean? I had no clue. I'd be at 25 episodes. But I remember, like, that was the mark I got. And then I hit a 1,000 plays, and I went, dude, it's not even four months yet. And I was like, holy shit, dude. Like, I got, like, it, it's getting, it's catching on quicker than I expected it to. And And that, to me, was like a huge moment for me that I was able to, to hit that threshold. And I was like, wow. Cause I remember what it was like to hit a hundred, like, holy, like a hundred was important, just as important as a thousand was, you know? Yep. Like, they like me. They really like me, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's great though. You know, and it's good to, it's good to set marks and have a goal to go for, but you don't want to don't overreach yourself. Cause that sets you up for disappointment. So, you yeah. know what, you reach this mark and, yeah, maybe we'll we'll shoot for a little bit higher here, mm -hmm. and you know what? And I think that's part, you know, that's part of the thing with all this too. You know, where yeah, don't set yourself up for disappointment. And you know what? If you don't make it past a certain benchmark, you know, which I do, is be thankful for what you have done. Be proud of what you've done. Don't just you know, if you made it halfway to something don't don't discredit yourself and be like i failed be like hey i made it this far you yeah. know yeah you're right that's an, that's an approach with my own music that's that's why i try not to get so bummed out like 
yeah, maybe I didn't make it to the fat record stage of whatever, and I'm not getting any younger. But I am thankful as fuck for everything I've got and everything that and the fans out there, you know what, when it comes down to down to stuff, you know, like same thing with your podcast or you had a thousand people that listened. And if you wanted five thousand and you don't you don't reach it, are you gonna discredit the thousand that did? Because yeah. selfishly you're just like, I didn't reach my goal, fuck this. No, you like now you're now you now you're 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 passing that on to you know like I wouldn't want am I gonna do that with my music? I don't know. I, bands do it. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, they failed. They didn't sell however many thousands of copies of an album and everything else. But like, you know what? You did sell, <laughs> and you did move to that many people. You know, so that, that's where it comes down to every every bit counts. Yeah. Every every, can... every every person that's that takes akin to something you're doing. It it counts. It matters and. Is they should be respected as as you're respected for your output, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you, you touch on something, too, that, that I keep reminding myself about is the young generation during in the day of age of, like, TikTok and um, not even Facebook, like, whatever, Snapchat or YouTube. Everybody is striving to be this person that hits a million views and will do anything it takes to become internet famous or yeah. you know famous in social media and my whole goal is yeah sure i could probably go out and do that i could probably try to you know whore myself out to be internet famous and get a million plays by doing something stupid but i have i'm older and i have integrity and my whole goal with this a is to have fun b make the guests feel comfortable and three, put out a quality pro- product that people are going to enjoy and bands that I know people are going to enjoy. You know, that was my whole mission statement coming into doing the podcast. Like, right. so I didn't want to put this huge 5,000, like you mentioned 5,000. I didn't want to put out 5,000 as my mark because realistically, to me, if I had a hundred people who were interested in a couple episodes of mine, mine, I would be happy. I would have been happy for every single play that I got, which I was. So I figured, you know what? If I could get a thousand people after half a year to be interested in my podcast, then I am successful. You know, maybe not, you know, social media, you know, famous, but in in what I'm doing, if I hit if I hit this thousand mark. Then I'm then I have created enough content to warrant me to get to that level, and that's why I put that thousand threshold is is that mark for me to hit. Yeah, because it seemed attainable. It seemed realistic. I'm not I'm not a negative person. I'm not an overly optimistic person. I'm a realist, right? You know, and I'm going. I'm always going to be that person that that will 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 strive to to be as real as possible and not try to overextend myself beyond what I think I'm capable of doing. You know, I think that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, no, definitely it's you say to keep yourself grounded enough, you know, that and and not setting yourself up for a major disappointment. Exactly. Um 
Jay, I wanted to ask you, getting away from that, um, is there any is there any people that you look at and go, God, I wish I could write a song like this person, and you you try to push yourself as a songwriter to kind of to to get better in your songwriting, I guess, is, is really what I'm trying to say. Is there any of these artists that you look at, these singers that you look at or songwriters and that you look at and, and you, you, you feel like you, they, they push you to be a better writer? Uh, Dan Vapid, Dr. Frank, Ben Weasel. I mean, that's, that's, that's my, that is my, my epitome of, I, I hate to jump right to the, to the, to the, well, I don't hate to jump to it, to the big tier, but you know, that kind of big group of that, the genre right there, you know, and you got, you got Joe and Joe queer and Kepi Gooley. Um, but I, Dr. Frank's Dr. Frank is hugely, hugely, hugely influential. Um, and, and, and definitely was is a push there uh, and what what i gather from from those bands from you know say just uh i, I kind of have my own feelings between each each of those those guys right there but uh there's a potency and I, I, which i i i like i like to keep coming through my music that at least i personally feel mm-hmm. that, that that's important and um it, it, it's uh, it's you know, if I had to nail it really down, I mean, between between Vapid and and Doctor Frank, there's really you know, and and Ben, like one of the things with Ben, with Ben's songwriting that um, Screeching Weasel that really you know puts it at the top for me as a whole with Screeching Weasel is the capability of of really asserting an emotion you know especially in those those you know the, those potent years of the band which you know you're you're talking about jughead and you're talking about vapid you got panic on the drum that that combination was there was a magic there and and then that that output just you know be it a time and a place their amount of input during that time was insane but you that, know, like nine as... years, that like nine, that like eight, nine year span was they they, they put out so much music, it was insane. Yeah, yeah it was nuts. Like I can't yeah. imagine. Like I have a, I have trouble writing enough songs to maybe create a couple. You know, and these people were churning out fifteen songs a year, right. <laughs> if not more, fifteen twenty songs a year. Yep. That's crazy. That's not, that's like that's like the Beatles. You know what I mean? Like 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 creating yeah. like enough for two albums every year. But you know what's weird? Like really when it at the end of the day, I feel like I take a lot of things, but I from 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 these influences and I feel like I've kind of been on my own path for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like I really you know, as as I as I developed, you know, my my growing years as a songwriter you know after the first couple Prozac's records releases I was 
I I was able to embody myself and I, I feel like I feed off of my own, my own writing. So I kind of like try to learn from myself, if that mm. makes any sense, you know, we're in the, um, it does. Building, off, building off what I've done, but I definitely, I do take a, a lot of, you know, the, the things between Dr. Frank, um, Kepi Joe, you know, I, and I'm going to them because they're primary songwriters you know, and, and Vapid, Ben and everything is between that group. There's this amount of fun. Yeah. Um. There's a, there's, there's aspects of serious mannered, you know, lyrical genius. I mean, let's not fool ourselves. Dr. Frank is a lyrical genius. Mm -hmm. He really is. He's, he's just so well-crafted. And, and able to put together the most amazing arrangements and you know and, and and vapid is you know he's a pop pop writing ma he's master he's consistent he's you know the, the hook and that's one of the, the biggest things here is the hook and the hook and the hook mm -hmm. and um with kepi you know kepi's influence is the, the the guy is is a is a gigantic walking smile, you know. Yeah. He he he, he outwardly that these other guys don't do. He he's outwardly expressing what he's bringing out in the music. He he's showing it physically. Yeah. And he's passing that on to people, and that's very important, and that's hugely influential. And you know, Ben Ben's like. Uh, dude, he he creates an emotion in the song, whether it's about a, you know, whatever the subject matter could be. There's some sort of something that comes out of there that makes it important. Mm -hmm. you know, he can, he writes a hook, but he uh, he you know he can write, he can write, kind of poppy and lovey sometimes, like occasionally, mm -hmm. but uh, you know that side of like the screeching weasel of the the issues and being able to come across that the angry side mm -hmm. and like put things on the table you know and he's also very lyrically you know he go he he's really uh, he's really well with his words mm -hmm. and um yeah dude I, I take all that and there's a million other bands that could influence in like many different ways but that's kind of where I'm coming from that's where I I've learned from uh, I wouldn't say I necessarily took anyone's particular songwriting and just said, this is exactly what I want. But yeah, you take those cues, man. I want to, so what, what do I get out of it? I'm like, you, I want to have, you know, the, it, I think it's important to have something to say, something that you're behind, something you believe in. I think it's important to let loose and have some fun sometimes. Yeah. I think, that... it's, I think it's important to keep, you know, don't, to, to write a good song, don't over, don't overstay your welcome. Um, I think it's important to not be concerned so much about trying to be better. Like when it comes to growth, I think you should grow upon yourself as opposed to trying to better some other band or musician. So, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and again, you know, you gotta, you gotta step back and be like, I can't write a song like this band, but, did your next song grow from what you did previous? Yeah. You know, 
but uh, it's keeping things catchy. Keeping you know, I'm I'm big on the hook, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that's, that's you know all those influences come into play. And what's even radder at this point in life, getting to know a lot of these people is, you know, you see guy you see guys like John Jughead and that you're that are you know one of your most influential bands and and getting the, the the bonus points that these dudes are real dudes and they're and they're representing what they do well vapid represents what he does well ben is controversial you know um mm-hmm. Kep, kepi is just again a beautiful human of of be, being there for the people mm-hmm. and um you know and and com- coming down at the end of the day I, I give joe queer the biggest credit that's the guy i've spent the time with and you know i learned so much from joe in so many aspects songwriting and beyond i know mm. you touched upon that before but yeah the, you know joe's the guy that uh you know he's definitely instilled in me that middle finger punk rock attitude and which, that's you know, awesome you know what you use it when you need to and what's the what's the what's the middle finger really mean i guess that is the uh you know fuck you i'm doing what i'm doing it's you that defiant like nature. You know, you don't have to be an asshole. Mm-hmm. It's not about being an asshole, but it's, you know, you should be, I think it's good to be able to convey that through the music. I don't want to think about it. Just trying to win I can't sit down and write a pure pop punk record. I could, I can, I write the material, but I, I can't, I, I just can't seem to sit down and just 
right? A consistent front to back, good old fashioned Ramones core pop punk record. I, I don't, I don't have it in me because I, I always want more than that personally. And how many of, life. and how many of those, of those Ramones core bands, Jay, how many of those bands did exactly that? There's always curveballs. These bands always threw us curveballs. You know what? Yeah, as much as these Ramones core bands played Ramones core songs, they yep. they were they were songs that were in there that stood out. Oh yeah. You know your yeah. writing style is your writing style. Like that's the thing. Like when when I listen to your band, or I listen to any other band you've been in, I know it's Jay Prozac. Like I know when I hear a song, I know that's fucking Jay. That 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 is your song. You have your own. You have your own style, your own spin on what the style of pop punk or Ramones core means to you. Well, how that, how you get there other than just doing, doing what you do. And it's 20 fucking years. That's how you get yeah, there. You know? <laughs> it, 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 uh, yeah, it's great. You know, like it is, it's refreshing. It is cool when you hear, hear, uh, you're able to, point that out. Dan Dan Vap is another great example. Whatever project he's in, you know it's him. Yeah. Like they just no, you know, it's but you know, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I I also when we were when we were talking about like can like who do you view as being people who push you to be a better songwriter? Obviously I look at that that tier of songwriters. And then I look at another tier of songwriters that I think are just as important. And you're one of them. I look at you. I look at JD. I look at Marion from uh, Windowsill and Giant Eagles and Apers and everything else he's touched. Yeah. And then and then I look at people like Jeff Palmer, Kurt, you know, Kurt Baker, you know, Lizzie Spazzy, whoever. I look at that that tier of, of songwriters as that tier that that I think are great songwriters. That amazing are just songwriters. As, just, amazing. just as amazing as the first tier. Obviously, the first tier influenced all you guys, but right. now your tier, your generation, because I won't even say tiers, because it's not tiers, it's generation. That right. generation of songwriters influences the next generation of songwriters. Like that's how I look. You, you, you were, you were pushed by these songwriters that you mentioned that influences you, and now you became one of those songwriters that is now influencing the generation below you. Yeah, I mean, all those, all those guys you just mentioned are all. They're they're all they're all huge to me. They're all they're all they're all. But yeah, we're. That's where I, that's where I feel I that's where I feel I am. Yeah. Right right in that mix somewhere, you know, and it, you know, it's a good company, man. Like that that's good company to keep. And that all goes back to what I said earlier about Cheapskate Records. I don't know if Jason knew what he fucking stumbled on when he was signing all you guys, but dude, he 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 came across some amazing fucking songwriters. You know, yeah. twenty. Yeah. Looking back twenty years later, he stumbled across 
some of the best songwriters of the last fucking 20 years. Yeah. And you know, it's cool though. Like I was definitely there with him pushing, pushing these, some of these bands to him or kind of being a, being the middleman. Cause I was, I, you know, my relationship with Jason started, started a little before that whole pop punk thing happened. The resurgence, that's what I call it, the resurgence. Yeah, because he started out with me with the Grand Prix, and he was, he, before the Prozacs even existed. Yeah. He wanted, he was, I didn't really know him well, but, you know, we. he was uh, interested in that. And by the time, you know, we put out, we put out the, the Prozac's uh, Monsters Night Out release, and that was, I mean, the Guts were my friends, the Rydells were my friends, just met the Leftovers, Johnny Three were... You know, we were just in the thick of it. And um, for me, it was pretty rad because, like I said, I kind of felt like like the Dr. Frank, the MTX of uh, Cheapskate Records. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I was like his kind of, you know, at that point, we were the mainstay band through all of it. And, um, dude, that was a rad time because that's, that's where I feel at home, like, growing up. Like, Jeff Palmer, I mean, he's he goes back as farther than anybody in my you know in my in my uh, in my my thing you know and it's yeah you know it's weird i guess it, i don't say it's weird talking influences but you said it perfectly like generational wise yeah yeah it's my generation my generation is our generation is like produced amazing music and i think the generations under us are looking at a lot of these guys in the same vein as like as we look at the bands that we look at and I definitely don't mean anything ill will by not going like these other bands influence influence. Cause I do, I feed off that energy. Like then mm-hmm. I'm proud as fuck of like what JD has done and is doing. And like Jeff just keeps fucking pushing it, you know, and Kurt, Kurt I mean, you know, these guys are, uh, everyone's at a different level in a different place. And I can tell you straight up, like, Knowing that, you know, I'm still friends with all these guys. I mean, I've talked to JD only three days ago. I talked to Jeff Palmer in the last two to three days. And so I'm still friends with these guys in contact with them. And, you know, I've, I've had the honor of doing records with many of these dudes. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, man, it, it, it does go on. And if you look at the, the young Rochelles, like, like those guys and, and the new Rochelles and, um, like that that little group right there, they're like their own little their own little troop of like everyone in the, in that little group is 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 talented and and pushes and does their own things and they do their their collective bands and you know it's it's admiring and it's it's really it's really great, you know. And and then you and get the younger bands coming through like the Letterman the Lettermans and like that new that new tier of bands coming through, you know, uh, jerk out of Vegas, you know, these, these young bands coming up, like, it's like, yes, yes, this is still, this is still thriving. And these young people are now carrying the torch into their era. You know what I mean? And they're influenced by you guys and by what you guys do. Like that's, that's important you know that's important that you 
you keep it you keep it moving forward just like the generation above you pushed you guys to be better like you're yeah. pushing these kids to be better bands as well and like it, it gets a lot it's weird because um that's because the generation and the way times are different like you know we were looking up these bands that were selling hundreds of thousands of records like i mean i don't know that's crazy obviously i, I haven't sold hundreds of thousands of records you know what i mean yeah and um and now like these bands are looking up to us bands and you know i i, I don't know what everyone's selling i mean i can tell you i've moved over 20 20 000 pieces of, of physical merchandise in my time and it's a long time period and it's not a lot but at the same time i'm like I don't know. I'm, I sit back and I'm like, that's pretty fucking cool. That's a lot of physical music out there. I've moved hundreds. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I've moved, I've moved maybe 200, 200 units but, of any band I've been in. So, you know, and that's, you're, you're out there. I've got, you know, a shitload of releases under my belt, but mm -hmm. I, you know, there's bands that are within my, my realm of, of where I, that I know the, that have put one record out and they sold 20,000 copies of their one record. Yeah. You know, maybe like in the nineties or early two thousand. I don't know. You know, it's, and it, it's, and you look at the, so these kids are growing up though. And it's like, it's not, it's not like that anymore. And it's a, it's a digital world. Yeah. I never, um, plus I never looked at how much bands were selling because that to me had no bearing. Like, we right. were talking about bands from my area. I don't give a fuck how much Fred Oakman sold of of the Torpentines. All I knew is that I fucking love that band. Right. You know, I don't know how many units you or Jeff or Kurt or JD were moving. All I knew is I dug out those bands. And to me, those bands were big to me. They, they, were, they were big bands. Yeah. And I think that I think that also goes to the next generation, like you mentioned, with the digital stuff. Lookout era was a different time. You know, there was no digital. It was fucking you went, you got fucking catalogs, you bought records and it was CDs, cassettes, whatever you bought, and you fucking bought them. Now it's it's that different ball game now. You yeah, can still move physical items, but you're also contending with the digital world too. Yeah. And, and a lot of most of your your physical releases, it seems, are just even with the big, the big bands on major labels are they're much much smaller, limited, you know, quantities and everything else. And it's um the digital world. Like I look at the digital world and like I don't know. I see some bands that I think are kind of real small bands, and I'm like, you see their digital numbers, and you're like, holy crap! And I'm just like dude like i feel like no one's listening to my stuff online but uh yeah, it's, it's like you said it's hard to tell it's hard to tell and it's what what really gauges everything it's just uh, you know it's you can't get hung up on it you got to just do it and like you said you know you like a band you like a band and mm. but you know getting down to that influence thing you know what it is there's, there's a new there's continuously new uh new younger bands coming in and carrying the torch, veering off with it, taking new twists on it, and uh, it's a uh, what's what's our job in it? You know, we're what's our generation's job at this point? Well, at we're still we're, we're still we're still pushing, but it's also our job to 
you know, yeah, to maybe be that that nurturing point too. Yeah. touch on something that i that I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get too specific because it's it's not ready to come out in the ether yet yeah. but um you know what i'm talking about but my stage the thing that i stick the thing that i realized is i spent so long trying to get other bands started and trying to do these different projects even if it was done by myself like i still held on all this hope to be in in you know, a, a, a band that I was losing sight of the most important thing for me is the documentation of it. Like, right. I want to be able to document something that contributes to the scene. Yeah, I'm at the age right now. I, realistically, I'm not going to start a band at 40 years old. Realistically, I'm not going to play in front of more than 20 people at 40 years old, just starting a band out. You know what I mean? It's not going to happen. Like, I don't have that name recognition to be able to do that. But what I can do is document the time and the scene that I'm a part of to help guide the new crew coming in, the new generation coming in, and turn them on to to bands and musicians and songwriters to help to help them through their career so they can do the same and that's what punk rock that's why punk rock has thrived for over 40 years is because bands generational bands have helped the generation after them and it goes that way through so we're at that stage not only do we love the music we listen to but we're trying to support the new the new crop that's coming through and that's important to do. Yep. I have one question before I let you go. Sure. Looking back at your career, your your 20 years with the Prozac specifically. What albums do you think still resonate with your fans and why? Oh god. I know I had some really good questions. I was I had some really good questions, but I wanted you to know that before we started. <laughs> it, yeah, it's hard to tell like what res to, what would resonate with a fan as opposed to what resonates with me. But um, 
one of my personal most records is questions answers and things never found came out in 2007 that's my number and, one and will always be my number one yeah that's and, my number uh, one right there i've had i've had more band mem members than not I, so I have enough. I've had enough band members to be able to use that as a gauge. <laughs> what what we yeah. say? Like twenty seven band members, official. Yeah, official band. That's the guys that I did that, that were actually in the band, not fill-ins. Um, yeah, the, the, that record was. It came out at like the peak of of my my you know the band's being out in the world you know the heart of our like cheapskate record years it was um a very there is it stands i know it definitely stands out in the catalog by its overall sound and the the, the subject matter and everything else and but i've, I've had i seen it's i can tell you it's the the cd on cd anyways it's the most physically sold of all the Prozac's releases. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't so, sure if that was if 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 that was it or maybe the first album because I've re-released it on Cleaning Out the Closet as well. But yeah. uh Yeah, that's uh the, you know, I can tell you the top the the, the the two two releases that I've I've got the most out there in the world is definitely Questions and Answers and our split with Johnny 3. Yeah. Which was like probably as far as the Prozac side, like a single release was probably that Johnny Three split was like a very pure pop punk feel. Yeah, those songs and and both our bands. But I yeah I was I, questions and answers. I feel like I've had the most response and to be honest, Ambivalence, which only came out in two thousand nineteen, that's the newest album. That's my second man. And um. And for me, they, they, they kind of have, have a tie in. There's a lot of, I have a, like, I have a kind of a thread with my feelings of my releases, like that I, that I personally feel tied together in certain ways. And um, if I go through my catalog, I, I group Monsters Night Out, Questions and Answers, uh, my solo record, Here's My Heart, and Ambivalence. Those records to me, have a have a common thread they kind of go together i guess for me personally and for that many makes sense people. having known the process and talking on the the last episode when we did it makes sense it makes sense that that questions and answers ties to ambivalence and ties to the solo record because here's yeah. the thing when you become a parent and a husband you know specifically it's it makes sense that it comes through your songwriting because when you're writing from your life experiences how can you not incorporate topics like that in your songwriting like how can you not when it's your life it, it, it it's your fucking real life it, it's hard not to questions you were coming you were becoming a husband and a parent so that makes sense ambivalence in your solo record was your some of the songs were reminiscing as you being a child as you were watching your children grow up it makes all the sense that all of those records even monsters night out that they all somehow tie in together yeah some of it's musical like Mon for monsters night out 
the tie-in was too, yeah. Was uh, that was when it kind of entered that darker. There was a darker sound, an edgier sound, and um, when Monsters Night Out was was done, the lineup on that only lasted like eight months. Yeah, I remember you saying that. that. Was, you know, and um, that was that came out in two thousand four, towards uh, August of two thousand four. I had written a song every day after day while that was in the studio. And that became, that wound up being basically the catalyst for questions and answers, not knowing it because questions didn't get recorded until 2006 with several people in and out of the band between. But I, I wrote every day after day in succession to Mo the monsters night out EP. And I held on to it. And I was like, this is the direction I want. And I didn't know this was before I met, Andrea my wife mm -hmm. and had a child and so but every day after day that 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 song it's one of my favorite songs that I've, I've ever written it's what I do for sure so I held on to it and um when the band changed a couple times I started writing a you know going back to like the Grand Prix feel for me the like the way I felt with that band writing more upbeat pop punk songs so I started weeding out the material and basically cleaning out the closet represents what was weeded out from questions and answers. I don't say weeded out because I thought it was bad. It mm -hmm. was, I kind of put a separation and like, you know what I was kind of saying? Like I have a hard time writing that pop punk record. Yeah. And like, when I say that it wasn't meant to be a, like in a demeaning sense or anything. It was just the fact that it was, it was me compiling those songs straight away which the johnny three split represents like basically half of that and i think yeah. a lot of people love our cleaning out the closet collection because it's kind of more of a, in the vein of the pop the, the more traditional pop punk style but yeah dude i like questions and answers was an epic thing and it grew what was cool is like i didn't have a concept when i started i just knew I wanted to grow from Monsters Night Out. And mm -hmm. what was different between Monsters Night Out and Questions and Answers in that time period, I had gone through a major breakup and then I found my wife to be and, you know, having a child. So Questions and Answers embodies, that album embodies a huge, that story of my life. And it's the crossover, you know. So what happened was, Monsters Night Out. I wasn't when I wrote that record, those songs. My my ex at the time, she was like, didn't want songs written about her, and didn't want that relation our our life to be represented in music. Mm -hmm. And I always wrote about my life. So with the Prozacs, the the first you know, that part of me was that part of it was missing. Yeah, thanks for nothing and in monsters night out. So I had two things that I didn't have in my music that time. And that was, I, I was leaving out the personal stuff with the relationship. I wrote some songs, but they were based on other things. And also I was, you know, the grand pricks was a bad breakup and everything. And it was, I had a lot of um, frustration, hurt and anger in me. So I didn't, I didn't, I kept a part of my writing style part of me from that away and i feel like monsters night out it started to shine a little bit where you know i, I took a different step in uh, the music side of it 
and that was my growth. That's where I felt like I started growing. But yeah, yeah when, by the time uh, after that came out, my relationship ended, and I I got with my with Andrea. In that in that little time period where I was by myself, I started writing all these songs, and um, I brought it all back in. The first song for me in the Prozac catalog was the song "Around." Yeah, hard. "Around" and "Hard" were the two songs, and um, that that I wrote, even as simple as they are, but they, that was about leaving my relationship. There, you know, that it just happened. It was like in the days it happened, and I didn't know what was going on. And so I wrote those songs and it was followed by like, I don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, I started opening up to yeah. uh, really putting my life into that. And then it progressed into, you know, writing with, you know, next thing I know we're going to be having a baby and I, I didn't hide from that at all. So it was very important. I feel like a lot of people resonated towards that by the time questions and answers came out. I also have a, a long story for like probably something no one wanted to hear. <laughs> no, you know what? You know what? They do want to hear the people like me want to fucking hear that shit, dude. And yeah. that, that, that's the thing. Like, there you go, like, like self depreciating yourself, man. Like, <laughs> you're like the thing that I like the most about your songwriting, especially with Monsters Night Out and leading into um, questions. Is your autobiographical songs that you write, but somehow they become they become it becomes fan songs. So what you're specific you're specifically writing about your life, but somehow like I've already told you my 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 love for questions is right. because I could relate to you. I could relate to you going what you were going through at the time, not knowing that's what you were going through at the time. Cause I didn't know you personally then. Yeah. You know what? Like then can I step <laughs> back a minute? C- coming back to uh, the question you asked me earlier about how, how I was, how I'm influenced, you know, how I've learned from other songwriters. And uh, when in the, in the grand pricks, I wrote blatantly songs about, people in situations like I'm like total blatant like this happened and this is how it happened and this is the name of the person (laughs) you know what I mean I'm in love with this person and the song was their name and everything else so one of the things I I really did develop uh, especially from from Screeching Weasel again going back about you know not always knowing exactly what Ben's writing about or knowing the, knowing the true origin, but he they had a way of evoking emotion out of the listener, even about almost anything. Yeah. So I, I I think I consciously made that made that change in my songwriting, and uh, by the time the questions and answers, like the material on on cleaning out the closet that I weeded out, to me, I was I was embracing my Grand Prix days. I I was getting over the breakup I was getting over of cheating myself of a piece of my creativity mm-hmm. and fun that pop punks that that's that style and some of the the quirkier songs I wrote like never like about a cat and like mm-hmm. you know I was just writing some more of the silly material and the fun pop punk stuff and so 
that was me letting the Grand Prix side of me come back into it. Questions yeah. and answers was the song that I was putting aside there was that was my growth of yeah one I I, I first that's the first record album that I wrote every single song and that I I also played like the, the amount of lead guitars and I, I, I also did much of the arrangements in the studio the band worked I mean Maddie, Carl and um, and Sean the group that played in that era everybody really you know brought things that brought that record to what it was and uh you know we had some trouble we had you know i some of some of the band at the time wasn't into some of the edgier type material and some of the, the lyrical content and they thought it was a deterrent from what because i was writing all this other pop punk songs which were just fun and and straight up and i think that was the kind of the direction but i for me it wasn't i was gro- question and answer was growing so when i when i take that record like it's a documentation of extremely important part of my life it was real time so that that record was happening while these while life was happening and and it grew into what it became because when i when i held on to every day after day in 2004 during monsters night out i again all this these things hadn't happened yet but that song kind of had a potency to it that i that i knew i wanted to you know grow upon yeah and uh by the time questions happened i went through all these things and i put it on paper i put it in songs and you know some of the the disagreements with the types of songs i was writing i i i <laughs> i did i did say to the to, to <laughs> certain members like fuck this no it's like this doesn't sound like the Prozacs, and my response was, "It only doesn't sound like the Prozacs because it hasn't been written as the Prozacs yet."
that's been my philosophy right along. And um, so questions and answers, it, 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 to me, that's that's where I came together fully. I embraced what I was in the past. I I was at a point where I wasn't holding back emotionally, lyrically, musically. I, I put an acoustic song in there. One of my ex-bandmates fucking dissed me because I put an acoustic song on a on a punk record. Oh, they, these bands wouldn't do that. Well, I'm like, I'm not those bands. Uh huh. Screeching Weasel was specifically the band brought up. Screeching Weasel wouldn't do this. Da da da. And I'm like, I'm not Screeching Weasel. They're my biggest influence, but I'm, I, I'm, I don't have to do things the way these other bands did. I'm but doing didn't what they I want later? To. Didn't they put out an acoustic song later on? Uh, Screeching Weasel? I don't think they ever did. They don't think they ever did. I mean, I knew like the Queers have and other yeah. bands have. I mean. You can't, you can't, you can't follow the same band's trajectory because yeah. you're influenced by that band. Yeah, you you but can't. Like, I mean, people diss Green Day for putting on an acoustic song, but listen, everybody loves that fucking song. You know, and you don't know that. You know, it's funny because that song was written during a Dookie era, and um, you know, with my own stuff, like that's why. That's why I'd like to. I'd like to think that maybe why a, a lot of people that do feel an attachment to that to that album questions and answers is for the fact that what i was going through and expressing made its way through you know the veins went through the the material and it came out so you know there was a certain rawness to the to the to the guitars that was very different than the guitars in the um which for me it was also a growth musically because i was finding my guitar style mm-hmm. in that record i also really you know and the thing is like we did question we did immediately follow that record with playing the chords we love and i think partly within the band i felt a little bit with certain member <laughs> that uh you know they were kind of striving for the more pop punk sound and i kind of at the time when when it came out i for as many people i felt really liked what we just put out a lot of people were felt turned off by it. Like I had, I had a lot of honest comments from some friends and whatnot that were like, yeah, I just, I like some of it, but I can't get into some of it mm-hmm. because it definitely veered off from that shiny pop punk side. And, and playing the chords we love was almost a response to that. Not yeah. that I, I like I, I, we wrote that record very fast. Those songs are all fresh and lyrically, the, the the songs on playing the chords we love were also very tightly, you know, came right off the heels of questions. But I, the approach I took was a little more lighthearted. And there's some important songs on there, and um, songs like you know, now that you were here uh, forever, about my son. Um, you know, I, I had my fuck you song with the cut the bullshit and the. Uh, I took songs like um, I can't remember the, the song names right now. Uh, what I am, and um, kind of you know, poke. I poked a little more fun at myself. I did it a little more playful, playfully. Uh, the song "You're Not Getting It," which is the opening track, mm-hmm. that was actually a "fuck you" <laughs> song <laughs> that was blatantly written about the um, 
my ex bandmate who dissed me for put doing the uh, the song on questions and answers, the acoustic. Yeah. So there, there's a couple, there's a there's a key line in there that you could pick up on. That I'm gonna have to go back and listen to it. <laughs> yeah, but I will tell you this way: the, the the member was in my band, the Grand Pricks. So I use a specific word in the song. Um, but yeah, I kind of that record you was the polar opposite of questions and answers. It was tighter, faster, shorter, um, brighter. The recordings much more brighter, poppier type recording, you know. So and and I, I do love that album, but yeah, questions and answers just got really, you know, like I said, that was coming together. And and I sit back and I remember where I wrote almost every one of those songs, and um having my my wife was right there with me with uh, with writing these songs, which was really cool and like introducing her, she had sang on, the the song what they say, which was appeared on a Johnny Three, split CD, mm-hmm. now the first time Andrea sang on a sang on a song with the Prozacs, and um. That song could have could have been on on questions and answers as well. It was part of the theme and that that lyrical content. And I think what's really important too is you you're, you you touched on it throughout. When you have the support of somebody that you're with, which I think that you always struggle to have early on in your career. Yeah. That when when you have somebody who is supportive of what you're doing and gets what you're doing, and pushes you and allows you to write how you write um knowing that you know her probably knowing early on that you write into what you write a certain style and you want to write in a in a a certain style having that kind of support and and backing is hugely important for the creative process if you're allowed to do these things then then you're not going to listen to anybody else's critiques of you. Because as long as you have your number one by your side, right? you know, telling you it's okay, don't, then, then fuck what everybody else says. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I'll tell you, like, the, uh, that, like I was saying earlier, the one big change in my, my songwriting, um, by the time that, you know, the, the, the questions and answers and all that was the fact that I, which you picked up on, which is great. It's cause it's kind of, it was kind of the point is being able to write in a manner that you can write very deep things, personal things, but the listener can take it for what it is. They don't have to convey it in the exact same way, but they're able to create their own, their own emotions and thoughts from it. Uh, they're able to go to it for their own, their own reason and it could be there for them for their, you know, it speaks to them. It doesn't have to be the exact, the exact reason why, you know? Yeah. And, um, exactly. and, and, you know, like, uh, t- taking something like that again, like listening to the guys like John Jughead and Ben and things that would, that will reveal what some of their songs are about. And you're just like, really? You know, and it's, um, <laughs> You know, and and I've got I've got some of those songs. If you actually knew what they were about, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would be uh, it would be it would be it would be like wow, what, weird or disturbing or <laughs> like never about being about a cat, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you know how how many people are stand six inch one? You know what I mean? But 
Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but even some of the deep songs, like if you take like a, a, a you know an emotional, uh, you know, you're very emotionally connected to a song, and you're like, this song has helped me get through some rough times, and then you find out it's about like the most ridiculous thing. Does that exactly. does that does that take away from it now, or does it, or does it uh? You know, are you still able to get that same emotion out of it? <laughs> because I think I, I think you can. Because I think, you know, like with a lot of your songs, what you intended to write about may not have anything to do with what the song makes me feel. Right. You know, I think that's the great thing about music is, you know, I hear a lot of people say I I, I listen to songs that where the music's good, and. I, as much as I like music as a writer myself, I gravitate towards the lyrics. But what I really like is when lyrics allow you the space to interpret the song, how you'll, how you take it. You know, the right. songs are about specific things are funny and you can maybe, maybe, you know, somebody who is like the person that you're talking about, even though like you, you call them by name, but you may know somebody who acts the exact same way and you're like oh dude this reminds me of so and so songs right. lyrics are always so important to me is like like i said being a songwriter i i gravitate towards the songwriters who can make me feel emotions even if it wasn't the intention when they wrote it i right. feel like those are the best songwriters you know, and that's one of the reasons why I think you're a great songwriter is because you allow the listener to do that. You allow the listener to take away what uh, take away what they feel from your songs. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, and the music goes the same way too because it's. Um, yeah. I know it's another aspect I've on several occasions I've put a lot of thought into the. Uh, the musical portion of it and treated it with an, like as if it was lyrically a lyrical emotion, mm -hmm. you know, and try to convey, convey a feeling from the actual song, you know, like, like screeching weasel with their, with their instrumentals where, you know, you, you feel it and you're, you're kind of, you're hearing just music and you're, it's a, it's an evoking a feeling like you can feel it. it it's just it's cool and it's you know and and you know and i love that when bands do that like say they'll play words they'll play lyrics off the music mm -hmm. you know you know dr frank when he um how how the date end and yeah. um you know he's got the he's got the uh the little kind of telephoned kind of a uh, little lead going when he says something about the phone mm -hmm. you know like those kind of things are they're so cool mm -hmm. um, isolation is for me is one of those songs it's like one of the ones that i consciously um you know the song is uh very simple it's basically two parts that run through the entire song and um, the song's about being alone. That's that's what the song's about: being isolated, being alone. And those are the only lyrics. I'm isolated, feeling so alone. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, in the the song arrangements, the first part of the song is like da 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 da. -da. Everything stops, and you're saying, "I'm saying isolated." Yeah. Da -da 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 -da. 
feeling so alone. And um, so that was conscious to have that like that. So you know, you're saying it and it's happening. But then when it comes into the the the, the next part, everything kind of opens up. And that, yeah. that, that to me was, for me, that represents, I'm not isolated anymore. I'm, I'm opened up, the door open, the light shining in. And that's where it comes in. Uh, you know, and there's like a five part harmony going on vocally. And it's supposed to be uplifting. So I'm, I was shooting for that uplifting feeling. So you're going back and forth from being alone and it's just you. The music stops and all you hear in your voice is you're alone, you know? Yeah. And um, so you know that 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 kind of thing. Lots there's a lot of artists that are that, that do that, and it's always a. Uh, it's really cool when you can feel it. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, you know that being said, uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast again, man. Like, um, I've wanted to have you back on since the first interview. You know, the first episode, and I'm I'm glad you decided to come back on, man. Yeah, dude, I love talking with you, man. <laughs> I do too. I mean, we talk Thank more. Thank you for having you know, me again. <laughs> this is a, yeah, this we is do, a... we talk all the time, and it's like, oh, we got we got we got to record one of these again, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, this is this is kind of a long one, so. Yeah, like it's a long one. Maybe I'll be, maybe I'll make it a two parter or something. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. You know what? If any of you made it to the end of this, like I commend you. In fact, send me your address. I'll send you a free record. It's much shorter than <laughs> much shorter, and more concise than this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. They'll they'll most most of my listeners all oh will make it all the way through. So they'll they'll they'll, they'll, they'll be fine. They'll suck it up. I've got catching up to do myself, so. <laughs> yeah, please do. I got catching up to do myself as well, man. I got a couple of podcasts in my my queue that I that I that I've been neglecting, so. I got to yeah, get we, in there. And... We didn't even talk about band stuff, right? Pretty much. Uh, we we talked about some stuff, yeah. It's all it's all good. Yeah, well, yeah we oh yeah, you we didn't talk about the 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 future stuff. Yeah, it's then it's all great. You know what, like. I could talk about questions and answers forever. Maybe we should come back and we'll do a detail through every song. Oh, you know what? Well, let's do it. Let, let's fucking I would, do I it, would love to do that. That would be I, really cool. I'll tell you what. I'll pencil that in. Yeah, man. We'll do that. We'll do a special uh, special episode where we'll break down an album. Fuck yeah. That will and, make me feel important. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you don't already feel important already, that will definitely be the tipping point, right? Uh, dude, John, seriously, thank you so much, man. I, I, this is this is always great. Oh, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you being back on, and I'll I'll talk to you here soon, man. Definitely. All right, man. Rock on. Yeah, keep keep rocking, man. I'll catch you soon. All right. Bye. Bye.